0: Blue Wire.
1: Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself.
0: Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Merov. So here we are. A busy week in the NFL went by with a couple of big extensions with Chris Jones and Derrick Henry. There was the whole mess in Washington, which the Washington Post reported on. And now, training camp is scheduled to start this week, and we have no idea if it will actually start. Players around the NFL are not happy because they want to be assured safety. They want details on how this season will work, how will training camp happen, how many preseason games will there be, and they claim the league has not given them any details on any of that. And as I said last week, this has the potential to get ugly, and with so much still up in the air, from the protocols that will be enforced to how the financials will work and so much more, many around the league are looking around without a clear answer. And as these next few days go by, we will have to watch if the league and the union can actually hammer something out. Because as of right now, they are going nowhere. And that is not a good sign if there will be football this year. I personally reached out to a few players over the last 7 days just to get a sense on what they know and are expecting with camp schedule to start, and all the answers are similar. They don't know. They are just hoping the league and the union can figure something out. One answer went like this, I don't know man, I'm just waiting for my PA team rep to reach out and so far, I got nothing. Another answer was like this, you know as much as I do. So, you know, it's understandable why there's frustration. But so far, unlike baseball, most of these discussions have been behind closed doors, quote-unquote. Not much has spilled out to the public. But the question is, will that start to change as the clock continues to tick and as the season gets closer and closer? All right, on to this week's episode. And the guest that we have on this week is someone who he's guaranteed to make you a smarter football fan. Let's say like that. It is Warren Sharp from SharpFootballAnalysis.com. If you follow him on Twitter, you know his work. If you don't follow him, you have for sure seen his work pop up on your timeline at some point in the past. There is analytics, and then there is what Warren Sharp does. And his ability to visualize and understand the game and all the work that he does, it is just absolutely incredible. And his 2020 football preview book is now out. And it's pretty cool because everyone on NFL Twitter unanimously agreed that it is a must-have and a must-read every single season. So we talked about some recent news. We talked about the upcoming season. We talked about how he got started in all of this, and it's just incredible, as I said. A really insightful discussion with him. But before we go to Warren, a quick word from our exclusive sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Sports is slowly making its way back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there is no better place to start than betonline.ag. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or go check out their odds on NASCAR and the Premier League. Can't wait for your own team to come back, BetOnline has future odds including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K that you can watch and you could wager on. Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, so let's jump right into it here. Here is my discussion with Warren Sharp. It is a full 50-minute discussion, and there is just a lot of information, a bunch of interesting nuggets, and simply put, as I said before, you'll come out feeling smarter as a football fan. So here it is, my full discussion with Warren Sharp. Joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he's the founder of Sharp Football Stats and Sharp Football Analysis. He's the host of the Sharp Angles Podcast and his 2020 Football Preview book, which has over 350 pages, is now out and available. It is Warren Sharp. Warren, thanks for taking the time. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to talk to you about some things about the season and the book. Uh, I'm doing really good now that now that all the hard work of assembling and writing this book is over and I get to share it with people.
0: Yep, for sure. And we're going to talk about that book later on. But I want to start by talking about some recent news around the NFL. There are still so many questions about how this season will even happen. But assuming it does, there are so many great storylines to watch. So let's start with this. A running back got paid. Derrick Henry gets a four-year 50 million dollar deal from the titans with 25 and a half million dollars guaranteed so it's really a two-year deal with two team options but what did you think of the titans paying a running back with his running style he's not much of a pass catcher and especially making it happen during a pandemic people are saying it's a great deal for both sides how do you see it
1: yeah i am obviously of the camp because of my analytics background of two factors. Number one, the run game is not as important as a lot of people think towards winning games. If you just look at the numbers and the analytics behind that, it's clear that the passing game is far more vital to winning football games. Um, Number two, I believe running backs are more replaceable than a lot of people think. I think that a lot of the run game actually is when a play caller calls a run play, and how the offensive line blocks that run play so you can increase the efficiency of your run game simply by calling runs when it's intelligent to do so and potentially using a little bit of pre-snap motion to confuse the defense and um, and then calling the right type of run play and then having a good offensive line you know investing into that offensive line of course they lose Conklin one of their big players along that line and they decide to pay the running back instead so I feel like just the structure of it you don't need to pay a running back in today's game now what I do like about the contract to shed a little bit of positive on it um, if you're a Titans fan is the fact that I do believe it is this two-year deal and I think that because they only have $6 million dead cap if they cut Derrick Henry after the 2021 season. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, You're obviously only being hit with a $6 million cap hit this year, which is far less than what they would have been hit with if they were paying him under the franchise tag. And then you look at 2021, and yes, this is a $13.5 million cap hit, which is not ideal but he's not even the highest paid cap hit of the 2021 season from a running back perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you could potentially get out of it. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of positive to it from that perspective. I certainly would not be happy paying this guy in the 2022 season or the 2023 season at the $15 million plus cap hits that they would be paying him. But I think if you get rid of him after a couple of years, not the end of the world, but in general, I do not believe in paying running backs, and Derrick Henry is no different. Everybody says, oh, well, this running back is so much different. No, if if you need a good offensive line, and then you need a good play caller and call runs when they're most valuable, if you have those two things, then it doesn't necessarily matter how good your running back is.
0: Right, and everyone who follows you knows that is your stance when it comes to running backs. And if you look at it right now, there are so many running backs entering contract years from Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara and Kenyon Drake and on and on and on. So many coming in the draft next year as well. Does your stance on running backs apply to everyone? Would it apply to Christian McCaffrey who got his big deal earlier this offseason?
1: So. It typically does, but as we know, the most efficient plays are pass plays, and a guy like Derrick Henry, who doesn't catch the ball, you know, that really hurts his long-term trajectory in terms of where we would think that he would be slotted here. A guy like Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he can be used as a primary receiver. Uh, Obviously, you don't want him to be your number one option, but he could be used as a very good option for designed pass plays, and he could be split out and used really to get a lot of mismatches from the defense also to help dictate pre-snap what the defense is going to be doing by putting him in motion or splitting him out. So the fact that he does so many things and can act as a wide receiver, you know, I really do believe that there are certain players that you have to pay a little bit more because they can do so many things for you. A guy like Jamal Adams a safety, who can also blitz, who can play coverage. He can cover tight ends. He can cover running backs. He can play in coverage on other types of receivers. Uh, he can man up guys. He can play as a true safety. He can come to the line of scrimmage. Like, these are types of guys that you can't just slot into uh, a singular uh, mindset of, oh, well, this guy's a safety, so this is what he should be paid, especially when their productivity enhances the receiving game, right? Jamal Adams mm-hmm. – His pass rush ability, his coverage ability, these are things that help the pass game. Christian McCaffrey, he gets a better, uh, gets notched up a little bit because he can help the pass game. So when it's helping the pass game, you have to be uh, a little bit more flexible in your preconceived notions. And so I do give Christian McCaffrey a little bit of a pass, assuming he is used that way by his offensive coordinator. If they if they, move, if they decide not to use him as much as a wide receiver, not to try to create all these mismatches with him in the passing game, then then no, you treat him more like a, just a true running back. But if you're using the, him in those ways as like a queen on the chessboard to do so many different things, then absolutely he falls into a slightly different category.
0: Yeah, but I guess I would add this as well. A guy like George Kittle in San Francisco who – Has one year left on his deal. He wants to get paid right now. And his agent recently said that not only is George looking to become the highest paid tight end in the NFL, he's looking to really reset the market because George is not just a tight end. He does more than that. He also blocks and he's really good at it. So we've heard numbers as high as 13 and a half, 14, even 15 million per year for George Kittle, even though the highest paid tight end in the NFL right now is $10.6 million. So he would fall into that category as well. Let's move to this. Another piece of news that happened recently involved the New England Patriots. They signed Cam Newton. Let's just say he's healthy. Do you think Cam Newton and Bill Belichick work together? you think that experiment works?
1: I, I think it can. I think it can in, in a couple of ways. Number one, Josh McDaniels is a very creative offense coordinator. Nobody talks about Josh McDaniels all that much because he's worked with Tom Brady for so long and because his experiments as a head coach didn't work out, but he really does have a creative mentality as it comes to offense. And I love the way that he adapts to things sometimes in the middle of games coming up with new strategies or ideas. Um, So I love that from him. And I love the fact that they're willing to, experiment with things and so I think that that's going to be beneficial the other thing that I think is getting overlooked here a little bit is what does Cam Newton bring to this offense that Tom Brady did not everybody looks at it from the perspective of well Tom Brady couldn't accomplish anything with this terrible receiving core so why should we expect Cam Newton's going to get anything out of it this offense is going to be worse because there's a chance Cam isn't 100% and then even if he is close to 100% he's not as good of a quarterback as Tom Brady two key things that Cam brings to this offense beyond just he's a quarterback who passes the football and he can run the ball a little bit. Number one, his presence out on the field under center or in shotgun causes the defense inherently to play with fewer defensive backs. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers out there, opposing defenses only play with dime coverage, which is six DBs on 7% of the time against Cam Newton. The NFL average and what Tom Brady was used to facing is 17%. So he is vastly beyond the spectrum in terms of where defensive backs are are being used against him. He's getting better looks. They're able to try to split out guys or put guys in motion to get mismatches pre snap with fewer DBs out there, that means you're having more linebackers out on the field and linebackers can be taken advantage of and exploited by running backs and tight ends in the passing games. So Mm -hmm. they do a lot of that. So I think that's going to be a benefit with Cam. And then number two, like let's take a look at when the Patriots last won a Super Bowl, which was the 2018 season during that season, they had a top 10 run offense, but really where they were only good was running the football against lighter boxes, six man, or fewer boxes, Tom Brady was really good about audibling out of box counts, audibling out of run plays against box counts with eight guys or seven guys in the box. They were merely average running the football in those situations. However, where Cam Newton uh, excels is he's able to be a, bring a top 10 rushing offense to the table, even against heavier box counts. So the Carolina Panthers, the last time that he played, which was the 2018 season, Mm -hmm. They were top 10 running against light boxes, against seven-man boxes, which is average, and against eight-plus-man boxes. So he's going to bring that aspect to it as well. I really think that Belichick and their office quarter, Josh McDaniels, are going to get a lot out of Cam Newton. So you're exactly right. If he's healthy, which is the key, then I think this is a good signing. He's no Tom Brady, but he's going to bring a lot, different, uh, a lot of a different element to this thing, and I think it can work.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And as you said, it's really going to depend on Cam's health. I got to ask you this as well. What has made the Patriots so different all these years? Like, even their ability to just adjust mid-game, I don't think there's another team in the NFL that is capable of doing it the way they do it. What is it that they have that other teams don't?
1: Yeah, I think that they are just a really creative team that doesn't have preconceived notions as to what they're going to do. I mean, perfect... Example of the way that these guys think logically. When they go up against a team historically with Brady that has a really good run defense, we're going like a top 10, top five run defense, they will start the first drive doing what they normally do, which is being somewhat balanced, running the ball a little bit. But after that first series or two, if those run plays aren't being productive, you will rarely see them run the ball at all through the rest of the game. They will be letting Tom Brady drop back with 48. 50 pass attempts okay that's just the way that they play they are always trying to figure out what is the easiest path to victory and they have backup game plans in mind if this doesn't work we're going to go with that and they don't care like well you know some coaches are like well this is what we do so this is how we're going to do it these guys change it up based upon their opponent and I think they're a perfect example of why that is so important Because if they stuck to their guns too much on both sides of the ball, you know, this is what we do defensively or this is what we do offensively. We're not really going to game plan against a specific opponent. We're going to try to do what we do and get perfect at what we do. They would not have had as high of a ceiling and created the dynasty that they did. But because they were so open-minded, eager to scout and create mismatches and know where to do things and how to adjust on a week-to-week basis and in games, They've opened up a lot more opportunities for themselves. I think more teams need to do that. More teams need to realize how big of a factor coaching is in everything and tactics and strategy is and be more open-minded. And I think a perfect example of a guy who has not been nearly as much of that is Adam Gase. In the same division, AFC East, Adam Gase, just stick with what he does doesn't want to adapt all that much. And uh, and then you got a guy like Bill Belichick who's constantly adapting and changing things, and it really opens things up for them.
0: So let me ask you this. Looking at the NFL right now, which team do you think is leading the way in... You know what? Let, let me ask you like this. There are so many levels of it, but which team in the NFL is the elite analytics team? Would you say it's the Patriots?
1: Well, the Patriots are in- interesting because they don't really... Um, profess to use a lot of analytics you talk to Bill Belichick and he'll be like well we don't use that what are analytics you know but they've got guys behind the scenes like Ernie Adams and a whole department that are crunching the numbers and doing things but where Bill Belichick excels is obviously he's getting information from those guys and they're modifying some things to try to take advantage of the rules construct which every team should be doing Um, but Bill Belichick inherently and there are coaches like this in the league that don't need to see all the numbers to back up reasons why they're doing certain things. They just understand, like, it's almost like they're looking at analytics uh, or the game through the matrix, you know, the movie, the matrix, where they're seeing all the, he just understands the right way to do things. He doesn't need the numbers to back it up. Um, But there are teams that look a little bit more towards the numbers. I think the Baltimore Ravens are a team that has really changed up their tactics over the last year and a half and have gone with a more analytically driven approach, which is ironic because they're ending up running the ball a fair amount. But, uh, and we know passing is more efficient in general, but they, they were incorporating a lot more of an analytics approach to the game. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are another team that are excelling in that department. Um, so there's a couple of teams there um, in both the, both conferences that I feel like are really taking advantage of analytics and maximizing things, and then there's, of course, a number of teams that have a long way to go.
0: So which team would you say still has a long way to go? I know there was a lot of talk this offseason about Dave Gettleman and the Giants. Which teams are still not so analytically driven?
1: Well, I mean, there there are certain teams that you look at and you could tell they're not, like, I, I agree, like both the teams, unfortunately, in New York, I think the Giants and the Jets, they both happen to be very far behind in what they're doing. I can just tell by looking at the numbers and seeing how consistent they are with their mindset and and their approach to things that they're not factoring in enough um, analytics into their decision-making. I think, you know, the Washington franchise is one that needs to come a long way in that respect as well. Um, But look, uh, it's, it's um, evolving process. There's so much to the NFL where it used to be this, like, well, we're going to do things. And if we go too outside the box people are going to question us and then it's going to raise raise eyebrows and then we're going to have a microscope on us and then it might be bad and so it's better to just like not have the media talk a lot about what our strategies are and because it could we could look bad and um i think we're getting away from that because i think the media is getting a little bit more intelligent about analytics as well i think there's less pressure and scrutiny being put on guys because you'll have people like me and others in the on the analytics side of things with a larger voice that are going to speak up on social media and and really like educate some of the journalists at times about why they're doing a certain thing and why it is the smart thing to do. And and then we're not going to have such heat being brought upon the coaches after the game for why did you choose to do this? Or why did you choose to do that? So I think we're in a better era of more open mindedness. And I'm hoping over the next several years, more teams will jump on the analytics bandwagon and start making better decisions.
0: For sure, and that's one of the reasons why it's good to have you on here this week, you know, because you realize these things before others, whether it's on social media, with your site... With the book, of course, which is now out and available, let's talk a little bit about this upcoming season. I want to talk about a couple of teams in particular. First of all, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns this year? With the new coaching staff coming in, I feel like there's no more excuses for Baker Mayfield. There's no hype like last year. They addressed the offensive line tackle position with Conklin and Wills. How do you see them performing in 2020?
1: I'm big on Baker this year. Um, look, a lot of team, uh, everybody knows, I mean, the numbers are there that quarterbacks tend to make a big jump from year one to year two. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really when quarterbacks make a big jump. And Baker Mayfield didn't make that big jump. And so people kind of, he, he was like the, uh, the shiny new toy. Everybody was expecting something good out of him last year. And because he didn't deliver and because the team struggled, they moved on. Everybody's moved on talking about Lamar Jackson, which I love. I mean, I was on the Lamar bandwagon Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, but like everybody's moved on to other quarterbacks and nobody's really talking about Baker Mayfield, especially not like the hype that was leading into his 2019 season. I think with this new offensive coach, Kevin Stefanski, and the style of offense that he's going to be bringing in with using some heavier personnel, which is something, you know, I was encouraging the Cleveland Browns to do, from a distance. Like I was encouraging them to use more heavy personnel because that's where Baker Mayfield was excelling. Not this 11 personnel spread it out, even though that was some of the concepts he was using in college. He in the NFL does not do well under pressure. He does much better when he knows that he's going to have extra protection blocking for him. Um, But they weren't doing that. They were not adjusting to that uh, last season. I think Stefanski, they brought in Andy Janovich, a fullback. They traded for him out of the Denver Broncos. They brought in extra tight ends. They drafted a tight end. uh, Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic in the fourth round. I know David Njoku wants to get out of there, but they've still got him on, on the roster. Obviously, they signed Austin Hooper, so they've got extra heavier personnel there. They're going to be able to use 21. They're going to be able to use 12 personnel. They're going to be able to be very diverse offensively. I think The other factor here is the schedule. The schedule gets a lot easier for Baker Mayfield. Last year, this passing offense played the number three most difficult schedule of opposing defenses. They played the number one most difficult schedule of defenses overall, passing rushing combined. This year, I project them to face the ninth easiest schedule of defenses and the number one easiest schedule of passing defenses. And one of the things that does not get discussed enough is strength of schedule as it relates to the NFL. We always talk about it towards the end of college football season. You know, What's their strength of schedule? What's their strength of victory? All these different things. Nobody really talks about it in the NFL, but it's a major factor because in the NFL, not everybody plays the same opponents, every single division. You got a couple extra teams that you're playing that the other teams in your division don't play. And then, year to year you're switching you're playing two different divisions than any of the other teams so it it, the schedule rotates in some years you played tough defenses in other years you don't last year they played a brutal schedule this year he's going to face a much easier schedule and then number two or three wherever we are at this i really think that there's uh the chance for his overall improvement just as a result of better cohesiveness and consistency with working with some of these players. I know it stinks to have another head coach that he's dealing with, but I really think that this is going to be a far more positive situation for him. Um, And so the teams go as far as the quarterbacks and the offenses go, typically speaking. Um, And I also think that it gets underrated a little bit how much defense depends on that own team's offense. We talk about defense in a bubble as if it's like, well, is this a good defense or a bad defense? But if you have a good offense on the other side of the ball, like your, your own team's offense, that's going to help out a defense a lot. And so when you're looking at last season, they have a below average offense. You know, it's going to expose the defense a little bit. And they had some injuries and they had some other uh, lack of performance. And they do need to get a little bit better defensively overall. But I think that they have the great opportunity to look better on defense because the offense is also going to look better. So I think the Cleveland Browns are a team that could stand to definitely sneak into a playoff spot this year. They're projected to finish third place in, the AFC North but there are 7 teams that are going to make the playoffs this year whereas it was 6 in the past. I think the AFC North can be a very good division overall and you know it's going to take a game or two to go their way but I think this is a team that should feel really good about themselves entering this season with the single singular caveat that it's never great this offseason to be integrating a new coach and a new system with a quarterback, right? Because of all mm-hmm. the uncertainty and the lack of practice time. But if they can get beyond that, I think this is a team that could be much better and a quarterback who will look a lot better than what we last saw him.
0: Yeah, and that's the other thing about the Browns, of Baker. I mean, it's obviously tough to do anything off the field in the circumstances right now, but he's just been so quiet this offseason and like, social media he hasn't done anything like he did in previous years and coaches when they're on these zoom calls with reporters they're all saying baker is locked in and ready to unload this year so you mentioned the schedule you mentioned how last year to this year and um, i'm really excited to see how that offense does another team that i want to talk about is the green bay packers i saw you put this on your site and it's in your book as well but the Packers last year go thirteen and three. They were six and ten the year before that. Massive turnaround. Of course, that was the coaching change. But what else? What What did you see change from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen? And where do you have them in twenty twenty?
1: Look, I think the Green Bay Packers are one of the teams that, just from a pure analytics perspective, I didn't like almost anything that they were doing um, since the end of last season. Looking back at some of the numbers, and then in the draft, I mean. They, they're going after a backup quarterback. They're going after uh, a, a backup running back. They're going after a tight end that they're going to try to convert to a fullback during this offseason, this pandemic offseason. Those are the top three draft picks. What are those guys even going to contribute to the 2020 season? I don't know. So we're not really helping Aaron Rodgers in this passing game out at all with any of those picks. And then you look at what this team was able to do. Uh, the, the lowest hanging fruit that anybody would look at is what they do in one score games, you know, and this team had a phenomenal record. I think they were eight and one in one score games. Um, and if you compare them to like the 2018 Packers, like, we, we got a major difference here in terms of the win loss record. The 2018 Packers went six and 10, 2019 Packers go 13 and three, yeah. right? So it seems like they make this massive jump record-wise, and they must be a far better team. But the reality of it is they're not a far better team. Um, they played a very similar number of games in terms of one-score games. But uh, as the 2018 Packers did, the difference is they win the most of them, whereas the 2018 Packers lost most of those close games. And uh, mm-hmm. the other fact is the reason why this team looked as good as it did in 2019 was because They got out on teams early in the first quarter, but their production on the scoreboard and their efficiency of the offense was not nearly as good good quarters two through four. Um, They got out on you early, and they were very good on third down. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, if you look at the 2018 Packers, the 2018 Packers were more efficient on early downs. They skipped more third downs by converting – first downs on first and second Mm down. And they had shorter yards to go when they did get forced into third down than did the 2019 Packers. The 2019 Packers were forced into more third downs. They had longer yards to go on third down. But the difference was they just good at converting those third down plays. And then the real reason why they went 13-3 and was because of their defense. Their defense looked significantly better compared to, like, a bottom five, bottom 10 defense of 2018. But one of the main reasons that they looked so much better is because of the quarterbacks they were playing. They were playing guys – I mean, they faced 94 pass attempts from Mitchell Trubisky and got three interceptions from him. They were playing guys like Kyle Allen and Daniel Jones, who was – young they're playing matt moore who's a backup they're playing joe flacco who got benched Uh, they're playing this litany of like Dwayne haskins and david blau like these guys are rookies or guys that are backups and just not good quarterbacks at all last season so i think it's going to look very different for them this year they're going to be playing um, a more difficult schedule overall better quarterback tougher defenses And I definitely see a regression, but interestingly enough, the odds makers are forecasting that as well. I mean, I really want to look under on the Green Bay Packers in terms of what their win total is, but odds makers project this team to finish first place in the NFC North, but only win nine games. It's very rare that the number one team in the division has a win total of only nine games. It's also very rare that a team that won 13 games last year and went deep in the playoffs – only has a projected win total of nine games the next year. So um, I think that this team is definitely due for a regression and recalculation here in their win total, but I just don't know how much value there is because I don't see this team winning you know, only six or seven games. I see this team as being right around probably 500. Um, then they definitely could win nine games, and it still could be uh, a, a worse season for them than it was last year.
0: Interesting. So you're concerned about the Packers going into this season. Is there any other team or player that you're concerned with going into the 2020 season? Like, for me, I look at Drew Brees in New Orleans... He was great last year, but then it kind of fell off near the end of the year. He wasn't the same. He's 41 years old. He signed a deal with NBC this offseason, which sort of signals that he's almost out the door. Like, don't get me wrong, he's going to be great, but will it last for a full season? That is my question. Are you concerned about any other player or
1: team going into this year? Um, You know, Drew Brees, like, I, I think there's definite concerns with the Saints from that perspective, right? They rely a lot on Drew Brees. They're a very savvy team when it comes to uh, calling plays and doing things that Drew Brees would optimize. And so if Drew Brees were to go down, um, you know, I'm not a the, – internally they're big fans of Taysom Hill, right? But yeah. I, when Taysom Hill is out on the field and he's getting the ball and doing any type of read options, this guy just keeps the ball all the time. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's a joke. They, they, don't, they don't call him give some hill. It's Taysom Hill. hill. He, he takes that <laughs> ball and he keeps it. He does not give it. And I just haven't seen him throw the football very much um, as a quarterback, like out on the field. So I don't know what he's doing in practice, but the backup quarterback situation, I know they got Jameis Winston in there, but how well will he do all the things Sean Payton wants him to do? I'm not quite sure there. Um, so, So they're a good example. I think anybody, any team that has a new coach and, a young quarterback or a new quarterback. So, I mean, you look at a guy like Drew Locke out in Denver, there's a lot of optimism about Drew Locke. There's some people who are really, really big on Drew Locke, especially with the way that he ended the 2019 season. But I write a lot about it, him in my book and I'm a little bit more skeptical based on some of the things that I saw from Drew Locke in terms of his ability to throw the ball down the field. They definitely have some good wide receivers there. They, they are a team, I think a team like um, the Carolina Panthers. I love, Joe Brady and what he brings to this offense. I think he's a smart, going to be a smart play caller. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a little bit underrated. Uh, He's, I mean, one of the best quarterbacks against the spread that there is in the NFL. Like people don't view him as a good quarterback, but the team just covers spreads when he plays in games. But learning that system, bringing in new quarterbacks, so anybody like that, I think there's definitely a massive edge towards consistency this year where you don't have a new offense coordinator and you don't have a new quarterback learning that since that system.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're always looking at data, right? I was curious about this. Let me know if I'm overthinking or if this is actually some something smart. Do you think this idea of potentially not having fans in the stands will impact games? Like, let's use the Saints or the Seahawks as an example. Everyone talks about that stadium and the fans and the environment if no fans are there, do you think that has an impact on anything or am I overthinking this completely?
1: No, I think it does have an impact. And one of the things that we have seen, and I actually predicted, I wrote an article on this heading into last year based on things that I had studied, was that we are going to see home field become less value. Like the home field advantage is not what it once used to be. And again, I'm referring back to sports betting because I, I work in that yeah. field as well as, as as well as working with NFL teams but um, in the sports betting arena you know the typical home field advantage used to just be three points like league-wide that was the average and some teams got a little bit more and you mentioned two of them The Seahawks and the Saints, just due to the raucous crowd environment and the loud noise and makes it difficult for defenses, causes false start penalties or other pre-snap infractions, et cetera, et cetera, also influences the referees a little bit with the crowd getting on them for making some bad calls. But what we have seen over the last couple of seasons is that with the way that the referees are now viewed and with more eyeballs on these guys and with them being graded a little bit more harsher and closely, that we've seen a little bit less bias that they bring to the stadiums where they, where they are calling games to those home crowds. Uh, that's number one. Number two, it's just become far more easy for teams to travel to these games. Like whether it's uh, chartered flights, whether it's the meals and the nutrition, whether it's uh, the, uh, like the physical therapy and the things that they're able to do, like technology has evolved and helped these guys so that road trips aren't nearly as difficult or unbearable as they once used to be and you're also able to bring you know your iPads and study film and do a lot of other things whereas previously you you weren't able to bring any of that with you it was very difficult to like study up on your upcoming opponent and get ready for those things or self-scout or do things of that nature so home field advantage has declined and this was heading into last season it had already started to decline And the results bared that out. Road teams, especially road underdogs, were doing really well covering spreads. Mm -hmm. I think this season, the same thing is going to be true. Without fans there, home field advantage is not going to be nearly as bad. The one situation or like kind of these situations that you're going to want to monitor is when a team has to play a short rest road game. And by that, I mean they played Monday night, even if they played at home, Okay, you're not getting to your own house until Tuesday, and you have to go on the road and play an opponent, you know, maybe a time zone or two away from you. That type of travel is going to put you at a slight disadvantage. Or a game where you play Thursday on the road, that you have less prep time for that game as well. Um, So, those are the couple of situations where home field will matter a little bit more. Um, But in general, I think. We need to absolutely discount some of the advantage that uh, certain teams, like you mentioned a couple of them, uh, like Minnesota as well, with their roof that refracts sound back down onto the field. Some of those teams had much bigger home field advantage with loud crowds, and they aren't going to gain those benefits.
0: It's just crazy how different this season is going to be compared to a regular year. I mean, there are going to be so many different varying factors that are going to have to be watched every single day, every single week during the football season. It's going to be incredible to watch how this all goes. One more football question here before we shift somewhere else. Every year in the NFL, there are four or five teams who didn't make the playoffs the previous year, and they make it the next year. Obviously, as we said, this year will be just so different compared to others, but looking at the numbers and looking at the schedules, which one or two teams do you think make that jump in 2020?
1: Well, I think we talked about one, the Cleveland Browns already. I think they stand a chance to do Some really good things uh, this season and probably sneak in there. I also think the Dallas Cowboys are probably going to be a team, uh, America's team, so to speak, that are going to uh, get into the postseason this year. Their offense is just really strong. I think Dak on his one-year deal should have a good season. I know they've got a new head coach, but keep in mind, they've kept Kellen Moore, their Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator. So the offense won't be nearly as different um, as it might otherwise be. So that's a big benefit to them I don't love their defense at all um, I also think a team like the Seattle Seahawks is going to they made the playoffs last year they did fine in the playoffs you know they won a game and then they lost the game to the Packers but I think this is a team that has a chance to be better this year they do have questions on the defensive side of the football but I think this is a team that uh, stands a chance to go a little bit deeper in the playoffs potentially so um, you know there's two teams plus an, plus an outsider that I think could go a little bit deeper but I, I just can't wait to see What, how the season unfolds, obviously, certainly I'm banking on the fact that we we get started with the season. I hope that we set into place proper protocols so that we don't have to call the season off early. But I really am excited for this upcoming season. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities for teams that think outside the box and teams that try to do things a little bit more uh, different and savvier with the movement that they have with players and the way they're scouting opponents and things of that nature. I think there's a lot of opportunity for smart teams to do well this year. A lot of questions, a lot of guys might be having to rotate out of the lineup because of COVID related issues and getting positive tests and things like that throughout the course of the season. Um, And so I think that there's just opportunity when, when anytime there's uncertainty, what I look at it is it creates opportunity for other teams um, I think it has a very a good chance to be a really competitive and unpredictable season. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it comes to fruition.
0: Yep. And as I said, it is just going to be fascinating to watch how this all unfolds in the coming days and weeks as training camp starts around the NFL. I do want to shift over to this and talk about you a little bit as well, because again, what you do is just incredible. So I guess let me start with this. When did you think of doing this for the public? And at what point, when was the turning point for when you realized the general public went, holy cow, this guy knows his stuff?
1: Um, Well, I've always, so I have an engineering background. I went to school, studied civil engineering, graduated with a degree, ended up getting my professional engineering license after that, uh, worked in the construction industry. And um, so I have a good background with problem solving and logic and math. So but my real passion like on the side i was moonlighting as you know trying to study this game of football and trying to study why are teams winning games and how can i forecast which teams are going to win games i ended up creating some models and algorithms that were forecasting it from a betting perspective and i ended up you know sharing some of that insight online and doing really well with my forecasts of who's going to win games and which teams are going to do well in these games. And so by studying that as much as I did, I built up a following of guys who are looking at me from a betting, a sports betting perspective. But then I wanted more and more data and more and more information to utilize in my process. And I eventually started getting into the play by play data and crunching that information. And so doing that for a couple of years, I realized there was no site out there that showcased visualized data for free to the public. And I built sharp football stats and put a lot of like charting data on there. So you can see different personnel groupings and efficiencies out of those. And you could see quarterbacks under shotgun and you can look at just early downs versus third downs. You can look at a lot of different things on the site and filter for different situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and these are things that I had an interest in. I just wanted to share with people. So I put it up there and I also started writing. And I think probably after writing this book, this 20, well this is the 2020 football preview but when I started maybe it was like the 2018 football preview which was a couple books into it I really built a good product and that's when some teams started noticing it and started reaching out and I started taking interviews and and started working in the consulting field for some teams helping them with strategy game planning um advice for opponents upcoming games preparing reports for them etc um and so I don't know. I just started, sort of started gaining a a following from that way. I don't know if there was one big like moment where everything turned. It's been just a lot of diligent hard work over the course of years trying to share my thoughts publicly. Initially, from the perspective of, man, why are these teams doing this? I really wish they would do things a lot more efficient because it would create a better product on TV for me to watch. Um, I watch every single game in my theater. I've got like the eight screen, uh, eight box direct TV split on a projection theater screen. And then I've got multiple other monitors. So I'm watching every game. I'm seeing all these coaches make tactical or strategic errors. And I'm just, you know, tweeting about it, wondering why they're not doing things more intelligently, but it has been rewarding being able to work a little bit from the inside, advising the teams beforehand and watching them actually make smarter decisions during the course of these games. Um, so that's been rewarding as well as you know, sharing information with the public.
0: So I, I know you can't really reveal which teams you've been with or are, are you still with a team right now?
1: I am, yes, yes.
0: Okay, so I know you can't reveal which team it is, but let me ask you this, like why not just work with a team full time? Why is it that you wanted to do this with the public and on social media?
1: Well, I actually, um, I've been offered multiple opportunities to work full time for, uh, a team and, you know, I've, I've back, obviously this is the COVID time. So this off season, I wasn't able to go to different facilities and talk to guys, but I did go to the combine and met with, uh, eight different offense coordinators at the combine, mm-hmm. um. Pri- the year before that, that's when I was traveling and meeting people and going to their facilities and talking with GMs and head coaches and offensive coordinators and tight end coaches and strength and conditioning guys and really getting the lay of the land and talking to a couple teams that were really interested in having me on board full time. But for me, like the way that the landscape is evolving, um, you have a lot more interest in the media on uh, analytics, you have sports betting is blowing up as well. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it just wasn't the right time for me to go dark on Twitter, to take everything offline, to, to move to a city and just work full time behind the scenes for that team and not do anything in the public spectrum. Right. Um, eventually, maybe I would get to that point where I, I felt like that was a good move for me. But for right now, I prefer consulting with a, a few different teams, and uh you know just being able to still share a lot of insights publicly now naturally the things that i share with the teams i have signed ndas like i'm not allowed to share any of that publicly like on a weekly basis i can't talk about any of the things that i'm sharing with them mm-hmm. from a strategic or game planning perspective but i can still talk about the the games and big picture things and i can still dive into details on a lot of different teams uh so it's it's fun i enjoy doing it i enjoy sharing my information with fans and making them more intelligent about the game and what they should be looking for. Um, and I enjoy kind of that interaction and there's just a lot of opportunities right now in the space that I prefer to continue working with some teams, but in a manner that would still allow me to do things in the media and, and, uh, and publicly.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So I want to, I want to touch base on this book because it is so detailed it is jam-packed with info i can't imagine the work that goes into making this book happen how long does it take to put this whole thing together is there like sleepless nights i mean as i said there is so much going on in here it's unbelievable how do you do it
1: yeah so it's um it's three and a half months of work uh that goes into this book and i start obviously by Compiling data and information and 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 all the stuff from the 2019 season that needs to go in here, and then it's you know analyzing what they did from a coaching change perspective or from a from a draft and free agency perspective in their personnel. Um, but it is it is a long process of pulling this information together and writing and researching and yes, absolutely sleepless nights. Um, you know my typical night while i'm writing this book is i'm working until 2 3 a.m wow. uh generally speaking now that's not much different from in the season because i am so busy working during the during the nfl season mm-hmm. that i'm typically up till 2 a.m on most nights and a couple of nights of the week i really don't sleep all that much just because i've got things to do and data to update and reports to file but um so I'm used to that, but now not the book is done. I've, I can go back to, you know, a more normal where I'm up to like 1am working. It's not quite as, as rigorous or bad, but it is hard pulling the book together. Uh, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's a major passion of mine. I know how much people look forward to reading it, how much they learn from it. And it actually helps me as well. I mean, I, I try to do things that are going to be beneficial for me and others. Um, I think if I were just doing something that's only beneficial for me and not sharing that information it wouldn't be nearly as rewarding Um, so I'm learning a lot about these teams and I'm doing a lot of research about these teams that's going to help me better understand and anticipate the 2020 season and then I go about the process of writing that up and sharing it with people so that they can learn as well and I think it's just a good process.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, again, it's 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 just there's so much information in there. No matter how much football you know, you are guaranteed to become smarter in football. As soon as you open up the book, as soon as you, I mean, I have the PDF file right now, but as soon as you dive into it, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Sharpfootballanalysis.com is where you can go get your copy purchase it. It's worth every penny. Let's wrap this up here with a quick five. We do this with every guest. It's five questions. Try to keep it short. Feel free to expand on anything if you feel like doing so. Number one, let's go back to free agency. What was your favorite under the radar move in free agency?
1: Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) I think, I think we mentioned it before. So maybe it's just on the, on the tip of my tongue, but, uh, if we're talking about really under the radar move, um, I don't know. It might, it might actually be Jack Conklin going to play right tackle you know, from, from Tennessee, going to Cleveland. They really needed that protection. Nobody really wants to talk about guys like that. So I'll go ahead and mention him.
0: All right. I know free agency feels like a million years ago. But yeah, that will help big time to Baker Mayfield here in 2020. Number two, a lot of listeners here are big time fantasy people. Give me um, a sneaky fantasy player for the 2020 season.
1: Well, if if quarterbacks are really the type of guys that get uh, production for you, and you want to try to find find some late round guys at the quarterback position, I mean, again, Baker Mayfield, you could tell him high on the Browns. I also think that Dwayne Haskins is going to outperform some expectations this year. Not an ideal situation uh, with a new offensive coordinator being worked into the mix, but I really think that Scott Turner excelled working with Cam Newton his first season there. His dad, Norvin, he was a quarterback's coach. Got a lot more out of Cam than was expected. If you read the chapter on the Washington football team and you get an understanding as to the difficulties and the ridiculousness of which Dwayne Haskins was thrown in there last season, I think you'll have a better appreciation for where this kid can go and develop. And, and hopefully it happens this upcoming season. Maybe it takes another year, but I think that I'm not projecting like a top 10 quarterback out of him, but I think he's going to exceed some expectations in this offense.
0: So some interesting quarterback options there for fantasy this year. Number three, who are some of the coaches or coordinators around the NFL who really get on your nerves with how they operate? Like, Steeler fans are not happy with their OC. I remember in Jacksonville in 2017, Nathaniel Hackett's play calling, you were able to sniff it out in the AFC Championship game. Which coaches in the NFL right now really get on your nerves?
1: Yeah, I think Adam Gase is one. Um, Bill O'Brien as a GM, but he's he's a little bit better as a head coach. Although one of the biggest things I hate about Bill O'Brien is, after he has a running back produce like a nice like 15, 20 yard gain, he tends to or or even longer, he tends to just call a run play to the same running back the very next play after this guy's like expended a bunch of energy, broken some tackles, had a nice run, and and those runs the next play to the same exact back generally are like very unproductive and yet he continues to do that. So that bugs the heck out of me. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're the team that uses the least amount of play action in the NFL. I don't understand why they need to develop. I mean, play action definitely helps. So Randy Fickner, I'm not sure what he's doing. However, if you read the chapter on the Steelers, you could see that they did bring in Matt Canada, who's going to be working with their offense a little bit this offseason, I'm envisioning actually uh, like a little bit of a power struggle, potentially, I'm just throwing it out there, but potentially a power struggle between he and Fickner, unless Mike Tomlin clearly says, Fickner, you have to allow Matt Canada to influence this offense, and we're doing a lot of things that he wants to do. If that does not happen from the head coach calling it, then I think we're going to have a little situation there because I I really think Canada has better ideas and strategies than does Fickner. Um, And I'm hoping the Steelers go with a little bit more of what Canada wants to do. Um, So there's a handful. I mean, there's a number of other guys who run the ball too much on early downs who need to change or who do some other things that uh, definitely get under my nerves. Um, I think in Jacksonville, we had a little bit of that going on last season, but they now have Jay Gruden as their offensive coordinator. So That's not going to be the case, but there's a handful of guys.
0: Interesting, and we're going to have to watch what goes down there in Pittsburgh. It's an interesting little nugget there that you just gave us. Um, Number four, this is one of the biggest debates on Twitter, and it will probably never stop, but I want to ask it to you. For the next 10 years, Dak or Wentz?
1: Ah, man. Um, (laughs) I really hate these types of debates because so much of the quarterback relies on the play caller, and I don't think people realize how important it is have a great play caller with a quarterback, and how much the ceiling is raised when you have that play caller, and and the ceiling is lowered when you don't. And some of the quarterbacks that could have been good but never got to work with good play callers and in good offenses. Um, I think overall, I like the mentality and strategy of where the Philadelphia Eagles are. I think Wentz is probably a little bit more pure, but he's got an injury history, and I don't know how that's going to develop over the years. So. I'll probably, even though I never want to do this uh, in real football, I'll probably have to punt on being decisive as to which guy I think is by far the better option here and say I, I, I would be happy with either of these guys. Um, but if you ask me for, for this season on, the, on given a certain team, Team A, which quarterback do I want on Team A, I would probably go with Wentz. But I would not be ha- disappointed whatsoever if Dak was the guy. I like Dak.
0: All right. Fair. I'll give it to you. No problem. I mean, it's just amazing how many people just debate this over and over. And I can't stand it either, but it just, I had to ask you. righty, Number five, last one here, which team in the NFL would you consider to be the up and coming team? You know, a team that's not there yet, but you like where they're, where they're going and they're going to be a threat in a year or two.
1: Um, wow. If if we're going to talk, talk about a team that didn't make the playoffs, I got to say, I was impressed by what Cliff Kingsbury did last year in Arizona um he's this air raid quarterback turned college coach turned nfl coach and he did air raid at every level and we thought that he was just going to be this air raid guy coming in but he actually changed up when he didn't have the personnel he Mm -hmm. used two tight ends he was going out there and because the air raid is four wide receivers generally speaking zero tight ends he goes to two tight end sets and he starts winning games if he gets some better personnel I'm optimistic about the Cardinals to be able to make a little bit of noise. Um, so I'd throw them out there as, as definitely a team that I think could come around. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm bigger on some of these teams that didn't do as well in the postseason, but are still good teams like Seattle. Uh, so I think if there's a couple of changes that they make strategically, like this team could go real, much further than what a lot of people are expecting them to. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're already a good team, so they don't really fit the qualifier.
0: So two teams from the NFC West for you. And I'm happy you brought up the Cardinals because I've asked this question a bunch to other people and the Cardinals are never brought up. I love what they're doing. I was impressed with Cliff last year. Adding DeAndre Hopkins is huge. And then Kyler Murray, second-year leap. We talked about that earlier. Will we see that from him in 2020? I am very interested in that team. Hey, Warren, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Anytime I listen to you or read your stuff, I feel smarter. Again, everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at SharpFootball. Check out the site, SharpFootballAnalysis.com. And, of course, Go get yourself a 2020 football preview book. It is worth every penny. I highly recommend it. Over 350 pages of stats, analysis, and graphics breaking down what you learned from the 2019 season and what we might see in 2020. Warren, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
0: Special thanks to Warren Sharp for coming on the podcast this week and delivering with all that insight. I mean, It's just so great. There's no other way to say it. I mean, he was fantastic. That does it here for this week's episode. Usually at this time of year, we would all be gearing up for the season. Teams will be reporting for camp. Right now, we have no idea what's going to happen. I'm anticipating another busy week ahead. Make sure you're not only following the MySportsUpdate Twitter page, but you also have the notifications on so you don't miss anything that goes on in the National Football League. I appreciate all the support. I appreciate you guys for listening and downloading each and every week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you have not done so yet so other NFL fans just like you can find this podcast and listen along. I am your host, Ari Marov. I'll be back for another episode next week with another special guest. Until then, have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you all next week.